I'm sure that I'm not alone in that I really like to travel. I like taking trips. I like seeing new places, experiencing new foods, seeing new peoples. But, um, but I, I must confess, um, I, I'm somewhat of a sloppy and heavy packer. I say that I'm a sloppy and heavy packer because I tend to, whenever I go on a trip, I'm always scared that I'm going to need something that I don't have. And so I always pack extra, always so many books, so much clothes. In fact, I pack so much clothes that at the end of my trip, I try to put my dirty clothes back in the suitcase and it won't even fit because I have all the clean clothes that I never use still there. I remember after living in South Africa for over a year, I attempted to bring back everything I owned. The only thing I parted with was my full-length weighted keyboard, which I did get rid of that because I knew that would be too much. But even then, I had two duffel bags that were 60 pounds each, uh, a briefcase weighing 15 pounds, a smaller backpack weighing 30 pounds, and then my large hiking backpack filled with books weighing 75 pounds. I was a laughing stock. Everyone saw me and they laughed, and I could hardly walk. It was over 240 pounds that I was trying to carry through the airport because I couldn't pack well. You know, it's quite amazing that, uh, that I didn't bring down the plane with all the extra baggage that I had snuggled through and without having to declare and check. My point in all of this is saying that any sane person, whenever going on a trip, whenever traveling, they always pack according to the destination. A sane person packs what is needed and does not bother with bringing extra things that would hinder him or her from reaching their destination. And as Christians, we are destined for eternal glory with Christ. How we are to travel in this life, we, we, will we be hindered by our destination, from our destination by clinging to every weight and sin? Will we fail to hold fast to the confession of our faith? Or will we run this race of life with endurance, looking to Jesus? Our scripture text this evening is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And you can go ahead and begin turning there in your Bibles. This text is going to help us answer that question in the positive, that we will run this race of life with endurance, looking to Jesus. And while you turn there, I want to briefly mention what I would argue to be the two goals of the author of Hebrews. The first goal of the, uh, of the author, what he's laboring throughout his letter, is to show the readers that, one, Jesus is superior to everything and everyone. We learn from Hebrews 12, I'm sorry, from Hebrews 1, 2, and 5, that he is the creator, that he is the radiance of God, he became superior to the angels, and he sits at the right hand of the majesty on high, and whose name is greater and more excellent than the angels. The second point is, therefore, because Jesus is infinitely more superior than anything else, we are to listen and to obey his words. We are not to drift from them. The author author wants the believer to know how to live the Christian life, how to hold fast to this faith till the end. For if we do not hold fast to this faith, if we continue deliberately sinning, we shall bear judgment, and there is no sacrifice acceptable for us. To put it in the words of James in James 1, 4, there is no escaping the judgment to come uh, to those who neglect 
the words of Christ and his offer of salvation. So let's read our text, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin that clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So looking at the very first part of verse 1, the author gives us the first reason for why believers should lay aside every weight and sin and run the uh, race with endurance. The reason is because we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, who are these witnesses and what are they doing? When we hear this, if you're like me, it sounds kind of creepy at first. I mean, you might think, is grandma really watching me? Like, am I going to be embarrassed? Or is she going to be embarrassed by me? And who else? Who else is watching? So I, I don't think that's actually the case. So who does then compose the great cloud of witnesses? They are all the believers who have faithfully gone before us and completed their race. And to be more specific, if we look at the previous chapter, chapter 11, in that chapter, the author tells us more about who these witnesses are by recounting their stories in short snippets, reminding us of how their faith endured and how they completed their race set before them. Now, the author lists some witnesses, but not, not every witness is listed, only selects stories, certain persons. So is this cloud of witnesses looking down on us, watching over our every step? No, I don't think that's the idea at all. They are not active onlookers, like some version of Santa Claus. They are far more than that. They are witnesses because their lives are testimonies to the faith that endures and what that faith looks like. Those named in chapter 11 in chapter 11, endured to the end, even in the midst of overwhelming trials. And when we look more closely at some of the people named in chapter 11, we see that some of them, at certain times, acted in very sordid ways. So included in the lists of chapter 11, you have liars, you have cheaters, thieves, murderers, the sexually immoral, drunks, parental failures, and cowards. You might even think, how did these people even make it into the list? I mean, the list of Hebrews 11, how did these types of people even make it? You might even wonder, how did they even make it as believers? Let me tell you how they all made it. They all made it by the grace of God through the gift of their persevering faith. It was because the grace of God they believed the promises of God. We come away seeing their testimony. They preserve because God kept them. And this will be the same exact way that we ourselves are preserved. It will be by God's grace alone that we continue to believe the promises of God. So just listen to how the author summarizes what God did through the faith of the witnesses who themselves were sinful people just like us. So here's Hebrews 11. 32 through 38. uh, 38. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, 
of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put forth armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world is not, was not worthy. It reminds me very similar of how the Apostle Paul summarizes his life of faith amidst trials. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 24 through 27, Paul says this, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, dangers in the, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And Paul, enduring all of this, at the end of his life, he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4-7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. So in our passage, the author is bringing to remembrance all the saints to encourage the reader to press on. It's meant as an example of how of God's keeping power to keep us both through sin and through trials. Now that we've been given our first encouragement as an example, we are ready to hear the exhortation. He says, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So if we have been brought with a price, then our destination is glory. Then how how then are we to live? The author exhorts us to lay aside every weight and sin. So we might would expect the author to say, lay aside the weight of sin, because sin is heavy and drags us down. But the author is speaking of two different things, weight and sin. The idea for the word weight is simply an impediment, anything that might impede your ability to make it to the end of the race. This certainly broadens our understanding of what can hinder our Christian life, doesn't it? It's not only sin that can hinder us, but it's also there are other things that are not inherently sinful that can become impediments for us that we must watch for. And so we are to consider, are there impediments in our lives that might hinder us from running the race to the end? I wonder what obstacles we might have led into our lives and impede our ability to run this race. Have you let the good gift of work keep you from the things of God? Are you hindered by a relationship with a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Are you a mother who has added too many extracurriculars to your schedule or the schedule of your children? Are you a student who wants to excel in your education, but you've opened up a door to where you've allowed your heart to become conceited and arrogant? What might hinder you? 
Are you hindered by obsessing over the future retirement? Are you hindered by being too, uh, too busy? Whatever it might be, the scripture is clear that we, what we are to do, we are to cast off every weight. Likewise, we are to do the very same thing with sin, our sinful practices. We are to throw off every sin which clings so closely. When the author used the adjective that is translated sin which clings so closely, he is not speaking of two types of sin, as if there is the sin that clings closely and which we need to lay aside, and the sin that is, does not cling closely, so the sin that clings loosely, that we can just ignore. No, what he's doing is he's describing the nature of sin and how all of it clings closely to us. Every one of them and every bit of it clings closely. The idea that he's trying to say is that sin ensnares us. Sin trips us up. We cannot run, yet alone walk, if we are entangled in unrepentant sin. And we ask ourselves, are there sins in our lives that we have not dealt with, but we've simply ignored? We might think, nah, they're not public sins. We'll just ignore them. You know, the, the sins that we might have made peace with, where we say, I guess this is just my burden to bear. It'll just be with me till the end. It'll have to wait till the resurrection to be dealt with. No, this is not the mindset that we are given in Scripture towards sin. We are not to make peace with sin. Sin honors no treaty or no boundaries. If we try to make peace with our sin, we will look like Neville Chamberlain coming home to Britain with a treater with Hitler and Nazi Germany declaring peace in our time, we don't always consider but that if you give sin an inch, sin will kill you with that one inch, and then it'll still take a mile. And if sin is not dealt with, that is, if we continue on practicing sin, sin will have our very lives. So how are we to rid ourselves of the sin as instructed by the exhortation? We are to turn to Jesus and ask for grace. He is rich in mercy. He was rich in mercy to all the saints that we mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. Every one of them was rich in mercy towards them. And he will be rich in mercy to you and I. Every person that seeks him will receive what they are searching for. He will cast off our sins, but he will never cast us off. So the second exhortation is for us to run the race with endurance. This life is not a sprint, but a marathon. It's not a race to be ran half-hearted or sloppily, but with endurance. It is the continued uh, perseverance. There is no, but I said a prayer at camp type of faith. Faith that is temporary is not faith at all. Only faith that endures is true faith. Running with endurance is to hold fast to the confession of our faith till the very end. Yet we know that we are a feeble people. The Lord knows this. We may have barely even made it to church today. And then when we get here, we're told, you have to run the whole race with endurance. How are we able to do that? We are only able to run this race with endurance by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you feel weak today? Pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to do what is commanded. We are confident and we know 
just based on the first example, if nothing else, that he will answer that prayer for us. And while we are running the race, we are told that we are to look to Jesus, who is the uh, supreme example of running the race set before him. As followers of Jesus, we want to model our lives after him. We seek to live like him. We pray and we ask the Holy Spirit to make us more like him because we know that is our ultimate end when we see him. So we fix our eyes on Jesus and we must not turn our eyes away from him. For if we fail to keep our eyes on Jesus, we will become zealots, miserable legalists, attempting to follow yet another command without the grace and power to do so. But if we look to Jesus, we will receive encouragement and strength to obey what he has commanded. So we look to Jesus' example. What motivated Jesus to live a life of obedience, suffering all things, suffering the cross, suffering the shame that was not due him? Our passage tells us why Jesus did this. It was for the joy that was set before him. Jesus, knowing the pain and shame that was to come to him, he endured it all. He endured the cross. He endured the shame. Jesus knew of the cup he was to drink. Jesus was not weighed down by anything. He did not sin. He did not give into temptations of the devil. Why? For the joy of being seated at the right hand of God. Jesus endured all things because a greater joy awaited him than anything this world could ever possibly offer him. And by Jesus' sacrificial death, He secured an inheritance of nations. His joy becomes our joy. So what might we forsake, knowing the insurmountable joy that is to come to us when we finish our race that is set before us? Might the sin that clings so closely to us lose its appeal? Might we lay aside every impediment for the promise of greater pleasures that are to come? Even as we consider Jesus' life as an example, we realize that it is more than just an example. His life is effectual. Notice that it says Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Lest anyone think that by laying aside every weight and sin, we perfect our own faith. Never. The author is clear that it is Jesus who is the founder and perfecter. Our faith is made perfect by Jesus' death and resurrection by redeeming us on the cross for our sins. We can lay aside our sins all day long, but unless those sins are forgiven, they still ensnare us. They still damn us. But because the founder of our faith, when we repent of our sins and seek forgiveness, we receive that forgiveness which we seek. And when your faith feels weak, remember that it is Christ who is the perfecter of your faith. So, like Jesus, we are to run the race, endure all things for the joy set before us. We will receive resurrection, uh, resurrected, glorified bodies, experience the new heavens and new earth, eternal life, and most importantly, we will receive unity with Christ forever in his presence. Does this sound like joy to you? Sounds like joy to the Christian. Christ's ends of glorification will be our end too. 
What he received, he also secured for us. So brothers and sisters, our destination is glory with Christ. Let us lay aside every weight and sin and run with endurance. Looking to Jesus, let us not be found unfaithful. Don't be held back from the glory that is to come. Travel accordingly. Run the race. Endure all things. And look to Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith.